Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Three prominent Christian leaders were imprisoned for 17 months awaiting trial. Each one of them, you might wonder, why were they imprisoned? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about who they were. Hugh Latimer, he was the Bishop of Worcester during the Reformation, and he became the Church of England chaplain to King Edward VI. Nicholas Ridley, he was the Bishop of London and a supporter of Protestant leadership. Thomas Cranmer, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the reign of Henry VIII, and he was the leader of the English Reformation itself. So what were they imprisoned for? They were Protestant. And Queen Mary, who had taken the throne of England, was not. She wanted them to denounce their faith. She wanted them to affirm the Pope and her beliefs as a Catholic. And for this, they could not acquiesce to what they believed to be true and right. And so, after 17 months being imprisoned, they were tried quickly and then burned alive. The last words of Bishop Latimer were recorded, and he said to one of the other men who was there, roped against a post with bales of wood at the bottom. And he said, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and be a man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Sobering, sobering last words, and yet the truth was they both burned next to each other with their other friends. They didn't want to compromise in their beliefs. They couldn't do otherwise. Tonight we encounter a story where we see three friends similarly, three friends like these who by their convictions are faced in a crisis. What do they choose to do? Tonight we jump into the text if you want to Look it up with me. There in Daniel chapter 3, our text shows us this story of Daniel and his three friends that we've been following for some weeks now. Daniel and his buddies, as you maybe understood from the earlier times, they were not originals to Babylon. They were not only not originals, they believed in completely different ideals. They were men of conviction in the true God of heaven. Their ancestors had gone to Egypt. They were in persecution for many hundreds of years. And they walked in faithfulness now before God. And they said, Lord, we cannot do otherwise. And so the story emerges of what now they were faced with. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Verse 1, chapter 3. Sixty cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. If you remember what happened last week, we saw this image that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed that he couldn't remember fully, but 
he needed the astrologers, the people there to tell him what it was. They couldn't do it. And so he was going to kill them all. Instead of killing all of them, he had Daniel and his three buddies who said, wait, give us some time. We'll tell you the dream and its interpretation. Sure enough, they did. They found out, the king found out rather, that he is the head of gold. Seeing that he was the head of gold and he didn't want any other kingdom inferior of his, inferior to his, to arise. And he definitely didn't want this stone that was in the dream to come and destroy it. He built such a large idol, literally 60 cubits. You know how tall that is? 90 feet. That's literally half the size of the hospital. Such a huge statue, 9 feet wide, 90 feet tall, half the size of our hospital. Half of it. That's huge. How much gold he had to build such a thing. And the story continues. Then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. And so all of these people, the magistrates and the provincial officers, assembled for the dedication of the image Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they stood before it. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we think, man, what big of a deal is it going to be if I kind of give a little bit on this issue? I tell you, with my kids right now, it's giving a little bit and they take 10 more yards. Petra, my daughter, she says, Tata, can I please sleep in your bedroom? Can I please? Oh, it's so cute, isn't it? Until they do it every single night, and then you can't sleep, and they kick you all night, and you keep getting up because then they want milk, and then they pee in their diaper, and it gets old, and it's just like, oh, Lord, no, you cannot. No, no, no. She really wants me to give on this one, please. And so she's begging every single night. Oh, man, she's so cute. And after I get angry so many times, and I send her back to the room, I'm like, okay, fine. Just come over. Just come over. Well, that's an innocent, cute thing, isn't it? I mean, hey, that's wonderful. Man, you got kids. It's so awesome. You raise them, love them. And she told me the other day, out of the mouth of babes speaks truth. She told me, Tata, I'm only four. I'm only four, Tata. One day when I'm big, I won't sleep in your bed. I won't. It's true. It's true. I don't sleep in my parents' bed anymore. <laughs> and so we let her in. But there are other things in life where you wonder and you ask, is, is this really that big of a deal? You know, is it, is it really going to make that big of an impact? Maybe it's, well, it's just my life. But you realize the text that we read last week when I was sharing with you that Prophet Jeremiah spoke into these exiles' life. He's like, listen, don't just exist in the culture that you're in don't just exist there no bless the culture that you're in speak life into it get married build houses start businesses and pray for that place that you're in be useful to the kingdom where i've planted you literally and so you realize these guys are not there just by themselves anymore most likely they had families most likely these guys had kids it had been some time since the years of their trial, they were placed in important spaces. And now these three friends are faced with a decision. What's the decision? Then the herald, verse 4, loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded 
to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zythe, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. You know, sometimes it's easy to be kind of critical of certain ideas and people when, when it's just them. But man, when you're talking about a whole family system, a whole group of people, you're like, wait a minute. When they do something, it affects a lot of people. These guys are faced with a decision. They, they heard the announcement made. Listen, we want all the officials of the kingdom of Babylon to gather. They couldn't just come in a moment. We read this and we think it's all happening in, in straight time, just in that moment. But no, the announcement was made. The questions were asked, hey, what's going on? Why is he gathering everyone to come to the empire? Why are they building this image of gold? What's going on? And, and the whispers came out a little bit louder. He wants everyone to worship. Worship what? Worship the image, to bow down to his rule. He doesn't want any other kingdom to exist. And he doesn't want any other kingdom to destroy his. He set this up so that there would be a permanent structure. I mean, it's tall as half their hospital to stand forever. That everyone would know that King Nebuchadnezzar will be like the gods. Wow. So, so then what does that mean for me? If I don't bow down to this, then, then what? What happens? Well, we hear that he's even thinking of throwing people into a fire if they don't stand, or if they don't bow down. Whoa. Now the three friends start talking with their family. What were the conversations potentially like? Hey, listen, I heard if I don't bow down to this, I might literally be burned. Oh, but wait, honey, we have kids. Hey, but, but if you don't, then what, what does that mean for us, our whole family? What does that mean? Other friends of his and theirs maybe were considering telling them, listen, if you guys stand and you don't worship this, what good are you going to be? You're going to be no good influence on the, on the kingdom. You won't be able to talk with the king. You won't be able to influence them on godly things anymore. Listen, it's not that big of a deal. Just, just let it be. Just, just bow down. Just, just come on. Why? It's not that big of a deal. Hmm. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zith, lyre, harp, all kinds of music, all the nations of the people, every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Friend, I'm telling you, listen, in this life, it is difficult to stand up for Jesus when everyone else is bowing down to the things of the culture around you. It's not easy to be willing to be faithful in a world that isn't just programmed for it. And the truth and reality is a lot of times we mess up and we, we bow down to the things of this world, don't we? If you're like any one of us human beings, you know that it's not easy to stand in the face of whatever it is that you face in your life. I don't know your story. I don't know in those little spaces or the big spaces that, that you have, unfortunately, like I've fallen to. 
It's not easy. We have to ask ourselves now a question. When a culture collides with Christ and his call to worship him, what do we do? I want to draw on here on this board one of the preeminent scholars, Niebuhr, a theologian. He created these five models of how Christ and culture exist in this space of a continuum, you could say, of sorts. And he created this to show how Christians can react or not react to culture. And there were these five kind of pictures of it. The first goes like this. Christ against culture. Fully against it. Right here. This is a kind of mentality in which we see that the world is sinful. There's nothing good in it. It is irredeemable. As believers, we need to be fully separate against culture. We need to be so separate that potentially we actually don't even engage with it at all. We create communes. We create spaces to fully disengage with the culture because it is so evil, irreparably corrupted. Okay? And then there is... On the other side, the Christ of culture. And so this values an idea that Christ and culture are equal. That everything in this culture is of God. Everything has been created by his people who are able to influence culture. And therefore, there is no contention with culture. Rather, it is seen to be synonymous with the things of Christ. So there's little conflict seen between Christ and Christian faith in that perspective, that model. And then there's this one, Christ above culture, where it views culture as basically good as far as it goes, but it needs to be augmented and and perfected by Christian revelation and the work of the church. So this is Christ above it. And then there are two more, two more on the left and the right. The next one is Christ and culture in paradox. This one indicates that there is this tension, that Christ and culture seem to be kind of in tension with one another. Hey, this ideal, wow, it doesn't represent Christ. Wow, this ideal totally doesn't represent the culture. And yet they can synonymously work together if They speak together if they're harmonious partners in this tension. And then the final one being Christ, the transformer of culture. Where human culture initially good and subsequently corrupted by the fall. But since Christ is redeeming all of creation, the Christian can and should work to transform culture to the glory of God. Transformer right here. Now, there was a debate about this work by Niebuhr, by another more contemporary scholar, by the name of D.A. Carson. And he said, the problem with this model is that it's almost like an either-or. Either you're, you're seeing Christ and culture equal, either it's against, either Christ is above it, either there's just this tension paradox, either Christ is a transformer, and you got to pick one. you got to pick one. Usually on this side, Christ equals culture. This is where liberal Protestant theology is. On this one, Christ against culture. This is where deeply conservative Christianity is. And kind of then the rest are somewhere in the middle. 
But D.A. Carson says that actually the believer finds their way through all of the models. Every single one of them has a place. Every single one of them has value for the believer, and we have to be willing to weave our way through each one, depending on the situation. If you were asked to denounce your faith in Jesus or be burned at the stake, which one do you think would you need to stand with? Hey, listen, Nebuchadnezzar and his worship of the golden image is just the same as worshiping Jesus. Is that, is that going to work? Anyone? Anyone see this working? No. Uh, well, maybe he's fully against it. Maybe I need a stand at this moment. Might be a consideration. But what about, for instance, at work, your boss is considering having a party, and they're considering having certain games there that are questionable. Party games that maybe as a believer you'd have questions to say, I don't know if I can participate in this. So maybe you say, listen, I could say, you know what, I'm fully against this boss. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Count me out of the party. I ain't coming. Or you could say, listen, there's a tension here. I definitely recognize that. My beliefs against those beliefs there. What if I went up to my boss and I suggested some other amazing games that we could do and he listened to me like, bro, I didn't even think about that. Wow, now you're working the work of transforming your workspace. But if you were just against it, no, I ain't going, I'm not going to be there, I'm not going to speak up, I'm just not coming because I don't want to participate in the culture that I'm in. You would have missed out on an incredible opportunity to be a transformer for Christ in that space that you were planted in. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. As a believer, we have to realize there is an important element in the midst of facing a culture that in many ways does not speak the language of Jesus and yet recognizing that culture is also created by God's creation. People who were made by him. People who, like you and me, need Jesus and need the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And so recognizing that as believers, we, we cannot simply say, I will not be in the world. Remember what the story of the early church fathers, some of those who existed right after Jesus was? There were hundreds of years when Christian leaders said, you know what? I am so against the culture and I'm so against Satan having any way in our culture. And I don't want to be tempted by the culture. I'm moving to the desert. Way better out in the desert. I won't be tempted. There's no, there's no sin there. There's nothing. And what did we find out from the church fathers? Some of them going so far as literally to castrate themselves. Because they still found their temptations arising. Others cutting off their hands literally. 
because they couldn't control the mind that they had. No, not being in the culture is not the solution for the believer. What we are called to do are two really important things. In the midst of this story, we see what these guys do. And I want you to catch this. They do what? Here in verse 13. Oh, sorry, verse 8. Now at this time, some of the astrologers came forward. These guys were literally saved by these three buddies. Don't ever think if you help someone, they ain't going to call you out. Here, look at this. They denounced the Jews. First mark of anti-Semitism that we see here again in the book. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the God live forever. May the king live forever. Your majesty issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the harp, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship it is thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned these three. And so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I set up? Now, when you hear the sound of all these things that I made that are very good, if you do not worship it, I'm going to throw you in immediately into the burning furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What are you going to do in the midst of these situations that you find yourself in, that I find myself in? Jesus tells us in the book of John a very profound reality. If you want to know what Jesus promised his disciples, how do you decipher what to do in a culture that at times seems to be antagonistic to your beliefs and other times seems to be in harmony with it? Depending on the situation. What do you do? Listen to the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Be on your guard, for you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues even. On account, you will be brought before governors, kings, and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And when they arrest you, do not worry what to say or how to say it, because at that given time, it will be given to you what to say. For you will not need to speak, for the spirit of your father will speak through you. What are we to do as young Christian believers in a culture that is post-Christian? What do we do? Well, the first thing I want to just encourage you is to remember, listen, don't give up on your beliefs. And don't be worried about the future and what those challenges may look like. Because recognize the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you in those moments. He wants to give you the power to know what to do in those challenging situations. So you don't need to step into those circumstances with fear. Rather, step into them with confidence saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do right now, but I need you to help me. I need you to be the voice piece to these people who I don't understand what to say. I don't get it, God. What do I do? 
it was a couple years ago, we had the Praxis Conference. Up on the stage stood a buddy of mine, Mikey Planeta, former baseball player, and then actually became a Bachelor contestant. There, standing in front of this incredible audience of people, the stage set for an inappropriate experience with the Bachelorette, what was Mikey going to do? There in that moment, he prayed, God, I don't know exactly what you want me to say, but I know I don't want to say and do what I know all my buddies are about to do. And so he wrote this girl a journal entry professing his faith in Jesus and saying that he would worship and value Christ and do that with her. Value Jesus with her and value the blessing that she is and, and value who God made her. While all their other buddies are professing what they would do to her when the lights turned off and they would find themselves there in the bed. That was a moment. He had to literally stand up and say, am I going to kind of go along with this or am I going to go along with what I believe my convictions would lead me to? And Mikey will tell you, he made some mistakes. If you were in our life, if in our small group, he, he shared with the guys that were there in an intimate space the the mistakes he had made previously in relationships. And so he wasn't up there perfectly clean and white without any blemish. But he said, in this moment, God, I want you to use me. You remember the story of Samson. He had made mistakes. Oh, he had made mistakes. But he said, God, in this final act, in this final moment, Lord, give me the strength to be faithful. Again, as I repeated last week, it's not about perfection with Jesus. It's not about falling back on the lies of Satan to speak in your mind. Listen, you're a nobody. We all know what you did. We all understand who you are. We know the things that happen when the lights turn. We know it all. No, 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 no. Because the Bible tells us in John chapter 16 that we have an advocate with the Father who speaks truth into our lives and strengthens us, as the Bible there in Matthew 10 says, in our time of need. I love it when young adults come and say, Pastor Philip, my employer is telling me they need me to work on the Sabbath. Can you help me? Absolutely. I have written countless letters for young adults who, when encountering an employer that says, listen, we need you here on Saturday no matter what or you're out. Oh, really? Mm. And so we talk about it and I say, hey, listen, there are laws that represent you that Jesus has for you. No, do not fall to the command of these people. There are laws that protect you for this. There are lawyers in Washington, D.C. at our headquarters in the church that they will literally submit a case against them if they try and make you do that. Really? I didn't even know. And so I've written countless letters. I wrote to Subway. I've written to the military. I've written to institutions. I mean, I've written to all kinds of places. Listen, buddy, let me tell you the laws on this. You need to understand this individual is a standing member at our church, and they do not want to work on the Sabbath, and you have to affirm and care for their religious beliefs. I never hear anything from them after that. But you see, though, it's a young adult who says, hmm, I could compromise. I could say, hey, just, just this one Saturday, or just this one thing, just this one time, just this... But as we get stronger and mature in our faith and as we've recognized in the past in spaces where we've fallen, we're like, God, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. What, what's the other option? You can be a transformer of culture as you're willing to speak up and stand up 
and stand for Christ in those spaces. And here, the, the two things that I want to leave you with tonight that are so important as the band comes up right now. We can take this actually stand off. I want you to recognize that Jesus wants to speak in your life words of courage and hope. But there's two things you and I have to be willing and able to do. You see, Jesus promised there in John 16 that I will send you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will speak truth into your life. But you and I have to dive into the spaces where the Holy Spirit is found in his word. For the Holy Spirit to remind you of God's truth, you have to have his truth hidden in your heart first. Jesus, when Satan was going to him to tempt him, he said, listen, do this, do this, do this. And each time, what did Jesus do? He recounted scripture back. He said, no, no, for the word of God saith. For the word of God says, for the word of God says. Friends, if we want to stand in these spaces in a post-Christian world, we've got to have the truth of God hidden in our heart. So our first application this evening is this, Lord, could you give me an affection for your word once more? Sometimes I'd rather do anything else but sit and read the Bible. I promise you. I hear this over and over from people in my room when they come to sit down. Pastor, how do I kind of have a reinvigorated walk with Jesus? And we talk about it. And I give them some ways to read the scripture that might be more meaningful and enlightening. I'm studying the Bible with a young woman right now. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor Philip, I can't tell you over the last month how much beautiful light and hope I have now. I have been studying God's word. I am so so much more excited about life. I wake up with joy. I don't know what it is. And she said this to me just yesterday. She said, I think it's because God is filling in the hole that I've had for so long. If we want to stand in this world that wants to fill the holes in our heart with not always what is of Christ, we've got to replace that, that emptiness with something that will bring life and beauty into us. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do, which seems like an overly spiritual cliche, but is to pray to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. To pray that God would fill you with that strength, that overwhelming power that you don't have in and of yourself. That power to say, God, no, I, I, I need your strength in this moment. And so we see the story of how it ended for these friends Furious with rage was Nebuchadnezzar, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. Wow, they made such a bold statement of faith. And then listen to this. But even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods in the image of gold you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, the text goes on, and he ordered the furnace changed and heated seven times hotter. And then verse 24, as they were thrown into the fire, the, the soldiers were burned literally up as they were trying to throw them into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, verse 24, 
weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly your master. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Friends, Jesus wants to be in the fires of your life. I don't know the situation that you're struggling with right now. I don't know the, the thing that's challenging you, that's kind of testing your faith, or, or maybe it's at work, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's even with the church. But I want to promise you that Jesus wants to be in your fire. He wants to be in the crisis that you're in with you. He wants to help you and be that guide with you. Because as those friends then were ordered to come out, the king could do nothing else but say, praise be your God, and he bowed down to worship theirs. Here he wanted everyone to worship him and his God, and yet he said, no, I can't do that anymore because what I saw, that stand of faithfulness, changed me now. As you and I stand, sometimes we may die like the three guys at the beginning of our illustration. Three men of Christian standing, three men who in many ways could have denounced their faith and lived another day stayed with their family, their children, could have kept preaching the gospel, but from a different perspective and vantage point, altering their beliefs, but they could still live. But they said, no, we can't. I cannot do any other but stand for Christ. And listen, it takes time for us to mature in our faith till we're able to do that. But I wanna encourage you right now in your faith as young adults, don't give up on what you believe and don't don't acquiesce when you're called to sacrifice your beliefs for acceptance, for a job, for a relationship, for more money, for a promotion, for a marriage. No, please don't. In the end, we see that these guys, they survive. Other times, we, they don't. The promise is not that you will live when you stand for Jesus. The promise is that the faithful will burn a candle that will light the world with the light of Christ. Because we don't live for this life, this one only. We live for an eternal life to come. And your impact of standing for Jesus might impact someone else around you. So recognize his blessing is for you. Recognize his mercy is over you when you don't stand. But recognize that tonight, Jesus wants to use you as a light unto this world. Would you make a decision to dive deeper in his word that the truth would be hidden in your heart? And secondly, that the Holy Spirit might live through you more powerfully this week as you step into the world around you. I want you to bow your heads with me and pray tonight. Amazing God, thank you for my friends who are here. You know who they are. You know the life that they are leading and you know the plans that you have for them. Holy God, bless them, speak into them words of hope and courage and resilience that they might be able to this week, just this week, stand in the small and the big ways that you're calling them to. God, we know that you're coming soon. Empower us now, Jesus, to be your light in the dark world. In Jesus' name.
Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon, and if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry, or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.